Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of A Drink With Walt, my occasional podcast on Walt's World in which I talk to one of my friends who has an interesting job and one day perhaps I'll talk to you know, a friend who doesn't have an interesting job or I'll talk to someone I don't even know who has an interesting job. But anyway, tonight I'm joined by my very good friend Nick Warmby and we are sitting in the Queen's Head. What are you drinking Nick? I'm drinking a pint of English Law. And I'm drinking a pint of... What's this one called? It's the, it's the lager from Gritchy Brewery. In fact, I think last time I was drinking lager from Gritchy. This is turning into a kind of advert for Gritchy. Anyway, we're in the Queen's Head in Broadchalk, which is the village near where we live. And I want to talk to Nick about his job. It's very exciting because it involves him flying helicopters. And the helicopter that I know him well for flying, because he used to fly it above my house, is the Apache. And I think the Apache is a fascinating aircraft because it's been around for what? 40 years, is that right? In various guises, I think so. Starting with the A model through to the D model and now, of course, the new Echo model. The new Echo model, right. We'll talk about all those in a minute. So it's become one of these sort of kind of aircraft icons and you are lucky enough to have flown it. So when did you start flying the Apache? When, when was the first time you got into that cockpit and took it into the air? I think I did my test pilot course in 97. So it was a long time ago. And then in 98, literally January having been on the test pilot course where they say you're never going to put all these skills and things you've learned into practice because it's not often that a new aircraft comes along and then come January you know three weeks after finishing the course I was in Mesa in in Phoenix with um, uh, Boeing starting the testing and trialing and learning the aircraft so a long time ago. So was it very different to other helicopters you've flown? At that time it was amazingly different Uh, and the important bit as well for me which is different to the Echo model, worth talking about, is of course the UK part of it. So right. we weren't just taking something off the shelf from the Americans. We put right. in the RTM, Rolls-Royce engine, which I would argue is probably still as capable, if not more capable, than what in, is in the brand new Echo model. Right, okay. With now a off-the-shelf American, no right, okay. UK participation. But you climb into that, so well, how old are you in 1990s? Um, I was, I think I was 26, so I was... Yeah. And you had flown all the kind of, in the Army Air Corps, kind of uh, helicopters that people I'd would recognise? pretty standard tour, I think. I'd done the Gazelle tour, I've done uh, I did some op tours, I was in Germany flying Lynx and UK, part of 24 air mobile brigade. Uh, I had a great time in the Army Air Corps. And then it was really, I was lucky, because it all depends on, you know, who your boss is at the time. And I look back to Germany, I had two squadron commanders, one who was all about everybody preparing you to be the next general. Right. Which was never going to work for me. Come on. <laughs> know your limits. General Warby. Uh, no, never going to happen. Yeah. And happened. my boss was a very technical ex-flying instructor. And I can, rem- I can vividly remember it. I must have been 19, 20, something like that. And him taking me out. We did all sorts of things he asked me to do in the aircraft. We landed, called me into his office. I thought I was going for a bollocking. And he said, I'm going to um, recommend you for TP. Test pilot. I didn't know what it meant. Right, OK. <laughs> uh, and then he said, I'm going to recommend you for test pilot. And I said, I think I replied, doesn't somebody else do that? Is that a job that other people do? And so he, that was, but that's one of I mean, that, that's how you end up ultimately flying an Apache. Then. That's how I ended up being, the, yeah, lucky enough to be the first UK pilot to fly the UK variant with all the UK bespoke specifics in it. You so, were literally the first UK pilot to fly the UK Apache. Yes, followed by, you know, throughout that day and weeks, others, of course, but yes. Right, OK. So what's it, what's it, so what's it like? I mean, compared to the other aircraft you've been flying, uh, what's it like to, it, to get on that? 
it's the it's an aircraft you that assimilates you. I mean, you you call into it. You've got individual cockpit. Everything is optimized for one set of eyes. I you think you're personally your set of eyes. Yeah, and it's you know it's the fast jet world's best kept secret about single seat tandem tandem cockpits compared to side by side. And there are advantages to side by side. But an attack helicopter which doesn't carry passengers, doesn't carry underslung loads, doesn't need a crew served weapon in the back. Tandem cockpit's the right answer. Got um, it. Okay. So you get on board in so you, Phoenix? You cl- climbed on board a Phoenix in the sweltering heat. Right. Um, having done some training, some lots of reading, been in their engineering development simulator. Because remember, you know, the aircraft had experimental on the side of it. And in true American style, I tried to get a picture taken with me covering the Xperi. Um, but the Boeing wouldn't play. They didn't like that. They okay. didn't like that. They weren't going to give me so a this picture. Is, so were, were you, this is an enormous privilege, just sitting there oh, going, I mean, I it, can't believe how lucky It was amazing. Uh, I, yeah, I had imposter syndrome. Did you? But, talk, I mean, the design of the Apache, I mean, it's it, it's it's what the French would call jolie laid. It's, it's ugly beautiful, isn't it? it it's an ugly-looking beast, and yet at the same time, there's something very charismatic about it to look at. Yeah, the airframe, is, isn't it? Is, well, I think Jeremy Clarkson said in one of the Top Gear shows. Did he? Yeah, it's so ugly, it's beautiful. Right, okay. And did you feel that when you looked at it? You went, this yeah, is absolutely. something else. It's purpose. It absolutely does what it says on the side of the tin. Attack helicopter. Right, to take things so out in a it, very, very emphatic way. Yeah, it, it, it's efficient at... Finding and killing, right. you know, it's it at that time, and it was the integration of the systems which I think was world leading at that time. The fact that I can cue the weapon system from my helmet or from the camera or from the radar or from an, somebody externally, perhaps marking a target with a laser. The weapons processor took into account, you know, when you fire the thirty mil cannon, where when you fire it, you actually your rib cage vibrates. Okay. Wow. Inside the cockpit. Okay, okay. Um, and you fire it. The first three rounds, the barrel is then adjusted by the weapon processor to take into account gun recoil. Okay. And this technology is in, this is all in the 90s. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's so just ahead of its years, time. just ahead of its time for getting weapon accuracy. I mean, uh, air, the airframe twists as you fire the gun. What? Because you think where you're firing that force at the front, if you're doing an off-axis shoot... Right, so, you, so, looking so you're at your shooting right shoulder, to like 45 degrees or something like that. Or, and, yeah, and people always think the gun only looks where the helmet goes. So the gun might be pointing where the camera's pointing, or you can point it at a navigational grid. It might be pointing at a radar target. You decide what is your sight, what is your weapon, and you align the two. So the gun could be off board, and as it fires, of course, you know, 90 degrees to the airframe, the aircraft will start to roll. Right, okay, got it. So when you, when you are, so your first flight, do you remember anything of your first flight? Do you remember, do you remember? I'll never forget it. Most of all, I remember the Boeing test pilot. Who, so it was you and him. So again, you talk about, you know, doing it at my age. They were, I mean, heroes, ex-Vietnam vets. The guy I was with, who was looking after this sort of UK program from a Boeing perspective, you know, flew in cowboy boots. Oh, really? Oh, so oh, yes. really classic good old oh. boy. He was, you yeah. know, I can remember sitting in the bar with him afterwards and sort of celebrating the first trip and him talking about the first time he flew drunk in Vietnam. <laughs> I was like, hang on, <laughs> okay, yeah, me first, of how many times? Uh, yeah, 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 I yeah, mean, yeah. that is a whole different generation okay, of helicopter yeah, yeah, yeah. pilots. Um, I swear he could fly better with a stick between his knees than I could right, Okay, so, so you put that first flight, so what did you do with it? You just uh, we took went it in for five minutes? Or, no, no, yeah. we did, effectively, before we started data gathering, we did three hours to then... Three hours in the air. Three, so I did three trips of an hour off the oh, top I see, of my right. head. And then at that point, we then said, right, I now feel I can 
start to gather data. And of course, because you're testing this aircraft, testing the aircraft. Now, the challenge of that is when you think the conversion to type for line pilots is on average over six months, right? And we were expected to do that. And you know, it's all very incremental, controlled, rehearsed. We know what we're doing. We're gathering specific. Come on, you make it sound boring. It must be fun. <laughs> Come on, you're like you're twenty, whatever it is. You're sitting there in in the, in this incredibly modern. Yeah, it was amazing. World and did it feel heavier, different, faster, more powerful than than a normal kind of whatever no, it was? I, I, again, I think it is. I'll always describe it saying it's, being, it's very agile for its weight. Right, it's yeah. twelve tons. Twelve tons. Okay, twelve That's tons. Big. You know, Whereas compared to, a, say, a jet ranger helicopter, the people know how. What was the uh, jet ranger weight? A uh, ton and a half. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. so it's eight times heavier yeah, than you that. Yeah, always, you always want your aircraft to be as light as possible, obviously. Right, that's 12 yeah. tons. That's huge. And of course, the other thing. That's that like was, six Land Rovers. Yeah. In weight. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to fly. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, well, one of the search rescue aircraft I fly for now is 16 tons. And again, okay. trying to get people's head around it is, is yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of weight. So you're, you're flying this aircraft and you think, okay, so this is. This is the dog's nuts, basically. I mean, do you not? It, it, does it feel like the future when you're in it? Yeah, and it, you know, it starts with a helmet-mounted display. So I had, I think, during the test pilot course, we would introduce some helmet-mounted displays and head-up symbology. But this was the first time I'd strapped on a a helmet, and that's when I talk about assimilating. The aircraft actually just sucks you in because everything's at your fingertips, everything is orientated to your eyes, and you put down the you know, the helmet that famous display, eyepiece, that the one eyepiece, yeah, yeah. which has got over the top of it, you can control through sticks. It's all hands-on throttle and stick, HOTAS. So you, with your hands and fingers, you can control what symbology is displayed. So depending on what your task is, what you're trying to achieve, you can change the I'm guessing what symbology, symbology means. And listeners will guess what symbology means. <laughs> so the symbols They'll in your eyes. bring pictures in your eyes. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but they're optimised They're optimized to give you the information you need for what you're trying to achieve at that speed, at that height. Right. And again... It was all very elegant, very simple, and I think still ahead of lots of other helmet-mounted symbology that's out there. And then over the top of that, you could overlay weapon symbology. Right, okay. Which, again, was all automatic. It was it employs a system called management by exception. So if you don't need to know about it, then I'm not going to tell you. So it was clear. Less is more. So the programming behind this thing is incredible as well, right? I mean, it's it's not just an incredible effort. I'm going to talk about Boeing software. <laughs> okay, well, we won't talk about Boeing software. So you you so then you are then instrumental in bringing the Apache effectively as part of the British Army. I mean, that was that so, was your role. So what we had to do was, of course, at that stage, is uh, validate all the American data. So right. you know, everybody thinks a test flight's glorious. The British are spending a lot of money on this helicopter from the Americans, Boeing. So you are there to make sure that we're getting the right. Correct. So A, yeah. it has to meet the specification yeah. that we paid for, uh, and B, it has to be safe. Okay. Uh, so That's the secondary consideration. Yeah. <laughs> I, now, I now work for industry, yeah, and of yeah, course yeah. industry makes all these claims, then you've got to prove them. We don't just buy and then put our young yeah, military yeah. crews in them without verifying and validating it. So there's um, effectively military certification is the way I describe it. And, of course, we had all the UK specifics of that day, UK communications, UK rockets. So the CRV-7 was new. You know, it's a much what uh, is more that? powerful. So the CRV-7 was a new rocket. So the Americans fired a Hydra-60 rocket. Which I fired this is a rocket to fire at ground targets. This is a rocket, not a missile. Yeah. So free flight. Um, so, again, we had to go through uh, making sure the weapons processor was, would aim it correctly. So when you point your... Sight, your helmet, yes. your camera, whatever, at a target, 
the aircraft measures the wind temperature and then it will give you steering cues as to where you need to aim so you don't just point straight at the target because the yeah, rocket's yeah, going to yeah, drift it. with the wind it's going to turn into oh, wind yeah, yeah. it's obviously it's going to climb and then descend um, which is different to how 30 millimeter fires because that will generally drift the wind right okay um, got it so, this so we had to, so we had a new basically a bigger bang for buck a better rocket in terms of at the target end so we always talk about flight tests doing uh, weapon effect and target effect my job as a test pilot was uh, the weapon effect how does that weapon leave the aircraft is it causing aircraft self damage is the sulfur going into the engines and surging the engine so my bit was all about the airframe and then it's of course just, all these variables it's an impossible amount of detail and that is oh. what you as a test pilot have to be doing all the time and of course the challenge is always trying to isolate the variables if you have a problem you've got to work out what is causing the problem or how do we fix it um, so I mean it's not just taking it for a spin in the air it's, 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 it's endlessly doing oh yeah no, it's absolutely uber planned uber methodical um, with specific aims we knew what we had to achieve what we had to get out of it uh, and we were controlling the variables we needed to change uh, to assure is the word. So how many how many Apaches did we buy as the British initially? 67. Right. And that, again, the other big difference to the UK after some war gaming and studies was that uh, unusually we were 100% radar fleet. And that was explain, the other. Explain. So most the Americans used to have a mix of, I think it was one in three aircraft had the millimetry radar. Right. Whereas the UK, after our war gaming and study, decided that better to have 67 aircraft, all with the radar, than 99 with a mix of, we used to call them D-Wees and D-Woes, D-models with the radar, D-models without the right. radar. Okay. Um, and again, that was another first, a millimetric radar detecting not only moving targets, pretty easy for radar to do, but static targets on a small platform, a helicopter. Yeah. Phenomenal. And right. That, and that just meant your sensor-to-shooter time, your ability to acquire targets was so much faster than anybody else. And there's great quotes for some of um, some of the exercises and manoeuvres that when operational evaluation started of, you know, from the armoured and armoured infantry saying, you know, if we moved, we were found and killed, and if we stayed still, we were found and killed. <laughs> so, I mean, so when... So you... So just talk me through the sequence a bit. So then you then brought it in, where to, to Middle Wallop near here in Wiltshire? In no, so I was, after my test pilot tour, where of course I was doing other things, The um, I then got posted to Wallop. I was posted somewhere else, but then the chief flying instructor, <laughs> as he at that point, because when we finish that certification, the military does what's called a release to service. So at that point, the aircraft now okay, not, to go. not just be flown by test pilots, but yeah. can now be flown within a limited envelope. Meanwhile, the testing was carrying on in the background, trying to effectively leapfrog and stay ahead of the front line, who were very demanding and knew what they wanted. Um, they had some people there who had flown the A model in the States, so, you know, experienced operators, arguably more experienced than we were. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to push it really hard, while the flight test program was carrying on, trying to stay ahead of them. I finished my test... Uh, Posting, I got extended for a little bit, was off posted somewhere else, and then got pulled back into the training program because I'd been an instructor previously. So then I got involved with instructing on it, which was great. And that so that is taking a, a, a young man or woman. Yep. Uh, well, actually, what is the kind of split between men and women? Uh, not enough. 
in, in that time. It, it, yeah. At that time, it wasn't enough, and it's still not enough. Um, what is it today, roughly? You think? I don't know. But, but, but in your day, then, sort of, I mean, in your day, we in, sound in so old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, and I think the Army Echo was leading the way in because it didn't matter. It was all about can you do the yeah. job skills. The Army Echo was a very eclectic group of ranks and people and backgrounds with a common interest of aviation. Right. Very different to lots of other parts of the Army. Right. I used to say it's the best of the Air Force and the best of the Army all into one. So, okay, let's just go down this side path about women. So, women. Um, the, 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 there was never any barrier to a woman being an Apache pilot. Nope. Right, exactly. no, we, no, we and, and still isn't. And right. also remember that um, you know the army. You don't have to be an officer to fly. You right. Be an officer to command a flight to have the uh, to command a squadron. Right. But actually, just to operate an aircraft, you just have to be qualified as a pilot. I seem to remember you once told me that you could be too light or too heavy to fly an Apache. Could you be too too light? I can't, it was one or the other. I can't remember they, what you said that there was, say, or you're too short, or too tall, or something like that. Uh, the aircraft has uh, a lot of survivability aspects. So you know, in civvies we call it safety. Um, military talk about survivability. So the undercarriage will stroke and take a 20G landing. The gun actually is on rails and folds into a cavity between the crew so it doesn't come up underneath the seat. So if you, if you hit the ground a bit too yeah. hard, like because yeah. you've been hit yourself. The, the, the fuel tank, as you drain fuel, rather than have fuel vapour on top, it has nitrogen, which is inert. Okay. You know, well, I often think if Concorde had had that, would it still be flying? Yeah, Question. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There might be an environmental thing about Concorde. But yeah, okay, fair enough. So, but your, your point being, you've got to be a certain size to fly it? No. Uh, no, so the crash survival seat, obviously, uh, you, you know, there's physics and maths behind it. You can't to have the optimum ride because the undercarriage strokes, the um, gun folds, the belly of the aircraft crumples, and then the seat strokes on a, and you set that out. But that, if you're too heavy, then you will stroke too fast. And there's an argument that if you're too light, it won't stroke at all, so you won't get the benefits of the stroke. What do you mean by stroke? Uh, move down. Oh, okay. So it's on rails that have a certain impact. The seat just slides down these rails so that your body is not absorbing the impact. Oh, uh, okay. okay. So effectively it. what you do is you take a crash and you spread out. Rather than a spike of 20G, you have that crash still has the same amount of energy. You spread it over a longer period. If I give you 20G now in your seat, you die. Right. Okay. If I give you one G over twenty seconds, because I can spread the load. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. So it's like kind of the rate in which you're experiencing that yeah. G as opposed yeah. to yeah. And that's okay. proportional to seat weight. Um, and the other thing is, of course, is I think they talk about anthropometrics, which is you know, as a test pilot, I have to know my anthropometrics. What is my reach from my shoulder to my arm? Do you know what that is? I'm I'm an off the shelf kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, you're like we're both kind of off the similar shelf. height, you know, yes. both the size. Yes, forty chest. And a, yeah, yeah. M&S off the shelf. Yeah, it's a um, thirty-four waist. I, so need to, gonna, yeah. I need to bear that in mind because when you're testing, because there are people with longer reach, shorter reach, so we have to know what the span of military aircrew is to make sure that with the you know power lever fully down, that they can do that without having to lean. Right, because if you're four foot ten, you're, you're not going to be able to. Uh, but then you have to have the seat higher to see over the stop. Can the pedals then be moved far enough back so you can still reach the pedals? So anthropometrics is all part of an aircraft design. Right, got it. And there will be a band of height, arm reach, which the military selects for. Right, fine. I mean, it's just too bad just, if you're just like yeah. if you're eight foot tall, you can't yeah. fly. A and, and if people are on the limit, then typically an aviation doctor will take you into the hangar and measure you and say, right, can you do this? Can you reach that? Can you see this? And it's just too bad. It's, it's, Fact yeah. life. Yeah, I know, because they can't, um, they can't design these helicopters for, for people at three foot tall or eight foot tall. No, but, you know, interesting now in 
as I move into industrial flight test because I'm being into I want to make aviation more accessible to more people okay. so we're now you know right now your average helicopter two pedals one collective power lever on the left and a stick in your right hand but actually we're toying with side stick controllers so if I can get rid of one control okay more automation so but yes right now can we can we can we talk a bit to to for aircraft geeks about the performance of the Apache and what it's like to fly in terms of just how fast it goes, what crazy stuff it can do. It's uh, not crazy fast compared to you know things like the new AW149, which cruises at 160 knots. That's what's the Apache do? 75 miles an hour. It's about 120. Right, but it's um, not meant to go fast. Yeah, yeah, you've got a lot of drag on it. Right, it's yeah. not meant to go fast. Um, it. The performance, I think with the new performance, they'll have much good... Helicopters don't like hot and high. They don't like thin air because the engines have to work harder. Okay. The rotor blades have to work harder. Okay. Um, so hot and high um, is always is always a performance challenge, uh, which I think that's what the Echo model is going to change. They are going to benefit from much better hot and high performance. Or when they get there, they'll have more power margins in hand. Is it fun to fly? It's amazing to fly. It's great to fly. But it equally is hard work. The night system, so rather than using um, night vision goggles attached to your helmet, which is what 90% of night yeah. aviation use, the Apache can use those, but ultimately it's designed to, through the monocle, you can display the infrared camera as an image. And the benefit of that is unobstructed field of view. If I take your right eye and put it on your car bonnet, right. then you... You're not going to have anything blocked behind any airframes, windows, okay, car frames, because it's unobstructed. But the problem is, uh, you know, you can look down through your legs, so it's potentially very disorientating. And also, in the back seat of Apache, it's something like 10 feet in front of you, 3 feet below. So it's pretty fine when you're going straight ahead, but when you get in the low-speed hover, and I look to the left... Effectively, imagine your left eye sees what's to the left of you, and your right eye sees what is ten feet to the right of you. Okay, but okay, so that's insane. Hang, so on. How, now how look the, that, uh, hang on, now look the other way. Your right eye sees what is ten feet to the left of you, and your left eye sees what is right in front of you. Right, I can't even imagine that. Let me get it. So, how do you? I mean, that's just you're just training. lucky training, but also training. But when you you've taught people how to do this, and there are people who just can't do it, and there are people who can. Right, you yes. can clearly. That's it's just training mitigation, which if I put my test pilot head on, is real weakness of the system. So to reap those benefits of unobstructed field of view, lightweight helmet, I'm not carrying heavy goggles on my helmet, yeah. I've got an infrared image, uh, and I think the Echo model now even supplements that with some uh, image intensification. So just to remind people, the Echo model is the new model that that's British the British Army's that they uh, just yeah. bought and are now, I believe, starting to fly. Okay, so go um, on, and then, yeah, so... So... Uh, what we're talking about. Yes, whereas an instructor, of course, so as a test pilot, I'm spending my whole life trying to prevent problems and make the aircraft easy and safe to operate. And then when you put your instructor head on, you're then teaching people how to mitigate and cope with the problems that have been left over because you can't fix everything. So it was a very different role. And, yeah, you know, the UK accident rate on Apache, particularly at night, amazing. In those first few years, we had... The, um, he's such a good test pilot he's dropped his phone on the ground <laughs> I make it a habit of throwing my mobile yeah, yeah, phone yeah, on the ground at least like, once a day wait, can, can we just 
I think the the, the, the the war that made the Apache was Iraq too, wasn't it? That was when suddenly, it was the early days of the internet as well, and suddenly there was a lot of gun roll footage of people being killed by Apaches, wasn't there? And it sort of really sort of made the Apache, it made people really sit up and notice. The average layman went sort of like, hello, this thing is just techie, it's like a computer game, it just kills people brilliantly all the well, time. I, I say that somewhat, you know, I know I have I probably the, said the, 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 way the, possible, first, the first rounds were fired by Task Force Normandy, which was, yeah, a model Apaches. But classically at that time... So that was UK or US? You're talking that about? was US. US, yeah. yeah. And classically at that time, of course, the navigation equipment on it was a bit lagging behind, so they then had another aircraft that effectively did the did have GPS and things like that had literally led them to then do the business. Right. And, okay. you know, those immortal words of party and ten, I think, was what said over the radio. Okay, I we're going to engage in ten minutes. And then they attacked, uh, I think it was a, a radar system called Kiri, K-I-R-I, I might be wrong. Yeah, okay, don't worry. Someone will, um, someone will catch you out on this. Exactly. Someone will catch you out. I'm just wondering uh, if I need to stop talking. No, no, you're fine. But anyway, but the... Which is rocking backwards. Right, okay. Um, and that was a key that was identified as a key part of our um, destruction of enemy air defences that was required to then start the airport and that was done by an Apache that was done by I want to say four but possibly more Apaches so Task Force Normandy and then the other footage we're sort of used to seeing from Iraq too was was of course it was right and and then yeah that was the, the highway of death right yeah and then it was also I remember very clearly there was one very famous bit of those two guys in a field on a night cam and they were being quote unquote smoked by two guys one of them was chucking like a mortar into the field do you remember that one it was kind of like an awful Apache yes, I mean these I are death that. videos yeah. you I mean this is um, you know. but this was sort of kind of things that people were watching you know all the time and and I think I mean were you aware of the fact that suddenly the Apache all, became all a platform that was sort of then became I mean sort of Notorious or infamous or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I think the you know the bystanders doing the judgment. And I looked at some of the imagery that, of course, was on sites like YouTube, and that's not what the crew see. That's what you have to remember. All those sites that you see on news and YouTube, a live leak at the time. Not, I remember live. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what the crews see. Um, and so, what the difference? So, what is the difference between what you see in those videos in the early days of? Was a lot clearer in the aircraft. A lot clearer in the aircraft, right, yeah. And and a lot of those things I find are always lost in context. You, know, right. you don't know what's happening before, you don't know what other information they had. And I'm not going to judge. You know, not well, but people make, watch those videos thinking you know the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Captain Hindsight yeah. always has. Sure. He has a great view on all these things. Yeah, no, 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 sure. But it was just, I think that, you know, talking of the Apaches, I mean, I, I sort of think that the Apache will be... A kind of iconic aircraft, a bit like the Hurricane or the Spitfire, or do you, do you think it's yeah, up there? Yeah, I think it will be. I mean, it's also you know people do hold it an icon, but you know it's deadly serious what it does, and the crews treat it with deadly seriousness. It's not it's not something they do for YouTube or the glory or glamour. They don't want to do it. You know, I spoke to a friend who did many tours in Afghan and asked him, did he? And we were talking about, you know, I left the army before they went to uh, Afghanistan. I talked to him and said, did you have regrets from of your engagements? And interestingly, he said, no, I have zero regrets for my engagements. Uh, they were all justified. They were all in the rules of engagement and they all saved lives. But I do have regrets for the time I didn't pull the trigger. 
Right. Which is really interesting. And he said, I didn't pull the trigger because I was not 100% sure. And then days later, you know, something else would happen with these, um, you know, the opposition or enemy, whatever you want to call them, that he knew that he could have had a chance to stop it days before. Right, okay. Which I thought was great, but, you know, it's not... They none of them take it lightly. One of the things I remember from some of that footage is the fact that you, you know, as a, as a civvy, an ignorant civvy, I watched them thinking, why didn't the guys who are about to be killed hear the helicopter? But that's because it's a long way away, right? I mean, you could you could yes, kill people with no. an Apache what again, from a mile away, half in, two miles away. Again, in, in context, uh, you, you don't know. I can't tell you how far away they were, what night, what other noise was going on. Sure, um, right, but it's. Yeah, the optics on those things are incredible, right? I mean, you, yeah, you, you, you amazing, just, amazing. You can look through yeah. that, and and the UK ones were, I think, made by made in the UK under design. So when we did the UK version, I said the UK workshare, the engines, the communications, the rockets, and even some of the optics were made in this country, which was great. So yes, building an aircraft under license, but a lot of UK involvement, which was amazing. Um, so do you? Okay, so let's talk about the future now towards the end of the Apache we've got this new Echo model coming along yeah, yeah. so that's obviously going to be good for another so that brings, decade so that brings in for the crews and again from what I've read and seen and spoken to them uh, but a gearbox so effectively more power available for them to use so their hot and high performance will be better I think there's more reliability modern avionics modern engineering so that'll be better. They've improved the night side camera, the radar range has increased, and guided rockets. Okay, so it's got lots of new goodies, but so say that's good for another X years. But could you imagine yeah. there being an, an F, a Foxtrot model, or a Golf model, whatever you want to call it? I mean, or do you think this is the end of the attack helicopter? It's drones, drones, drones from now. Drones, drones, drones. So we can drone all of us. Episode two, drones. Everywhere well, I go, yeah, I get come told on, come how on. I'm going to be come on, you're the end. Drone. You're the end. You're the end of it. You're the last. You're, you are the old fart. You're the last. I of think. It. I think rotary aviation is. I can definitely see the place for unmanned, uh, but you know somebody will find a measure to get rid of it. And I've done trials with where we controlled an unmanned vehicle from Wildcat helicopter and we can look at basically up to five so we can take control of drones and then use them get their camera feed control so you're flying the wildcat which is the new army recce helicopter yeah and you control drones from the cockpit as you're flying uh, this was a trial to demonstrate the potential capability right and of course we were landing operating with the drone operators and they were you know always very keen to tell me how they were going to replace me and I said you do realise there's 30 knots of wind on Friday ooh, ooh, ooh I can't fly on that oh there's hail and snow ooh we, can, we can't operate that I said oh so you're not replacing me on Thursday and you're not replacing right, me on yeah, Friday it's a bit chilly for your little drone oh by the way unmanned who are you oh I'm the camera operator I'm the launcher I'm the driver I'm the vehicle I'm the recovery guy I was like there's nothing unmanned about you and the footprint ok so that's a really interesting point it's the not aircraft thing. isn't manned in the air, but Correct. it's manned absolutely on the ground with that support yeah. thing. Yeah. And but again, you've got to look at the environment. I think the maritime environment, definitely open airspace, obstruction-free, flat ground, aka the sea, is definitely a place to start for military and manned and drone. Uh, you know, 
the land, the rotary environment, even the civilian rotary market is a real human problem. I've taken helicopters into sites where nothing is as planned. There's a tent there, there's a wedding, there's people playing football. Nothing is as you think it's going to be. Right, and, and there's no matter... It's a human problem to solve it. You know, three passengers turn up instead of two. You know, it's... Rotary aviation, I think, is a long way away from going unmanned. Right, OK. So fixed wing, high-level ops, uncluttered, free airspace, yes, until somebody works out a way to down them all in one. And, and, then, and then, but the, and, and then, then the... I mean, that, that could mean that then the Apache, as we know, it could be here to stay for another two, three decades. Potentially, yeah, I think so. But there's, you know, which is extraordinary to think that no, but it's like, I mean, what are what are the aircraft? I mean, so far the Apache's what forty years old, right? Well, I think if you compare the E model to the D model to the Echo model, they're completely different. Yeah, but okay, but there's, the Lehman Lightning is still the same role. It still looks the same. It's the same role. Yeah, it still looks the same. But a car looks the same. But you know, a modern electronic car looks the same as my petrocar, but they're completely different inside. The cockpit's different, the performance is okay. different. They, they are worlds apart. Yeah. If so you look your at average 1981 Ford, yeah. your average 2022 Ford is different. Normandy, the A model needed another helicopter to navigate it across the desert to, to get to its attack position. Right, okay. Trust me, the Echo model doesn't need to do that. Okay. Oh, and by the way, it knows where everybody else is as well simultaneously. Okay, so it's got that whole swarming... The whole area. networking capability. It's, you can't compare like and like, just because it looks like it on the outside. One of the aircraft I fly... In my um, search and rescue jobs, the radar is built into the skin of the aircraft. So people look at it and think, oh, it's the same as that aircraft. No, it's not. Okay. So, you know, modern solid state electronics, it's completely different. But so, but it's called the Apache, it's here to stay. I mean, that's, I know that it's a different thing, but it, it, because we can keep renovating it. But if, but if the silhouette is the same. Yeah, the silhouette's the same, the name's the same, uh, the ethos behind it is the same. But, again, they're extending their capability. They can control a single drone, I think, from the cockpit. You know, whether they want to or not is up to them. Um, but it has that capability. Just to end, obviously, it's, it's timely, it's important. It's, it's, it's Ukraine, obviously. What um, Have you been looking at the kind of attack helicopter thing in Ukraine and what's going on there and what the Ukrainians are using or the Russians are using? Any thoughts about either side there? So I, I look at the, the... I can only judge on the videos I've seen. I put my reservist head on and my ex-military head on. And it's given me great faith in our helicopter tactics and the way we fly because the aircraft being shot down... That is just not how we teach people to fly. Singletons, day, 300 feet in a straight line. That's the Russians are being shot down. And they just deserve it. I mean, there's classic one of, a, I think, a werewolf, K-52, sitting there for 10 minutes. Trust me, UK... That's a Russian helicopter. Russian helicopter gets shot down because he's sitting in a battle position, engagement position, whatever they call for it. For 10 minutes. For, well, it looks an extended period of time, which we would just, you know, fire and manoeuvre. So... Yeah, I'm watching what they're doing, and it's giving me faith that what we teach and how we used to operate, and I guess they still do, is is good. Um, I just hope we don't learn false lessons and go, oh, helicopters are really vulnerable. It's like, mm, they are if you operate them like that. And are the Ukrainians using attack helicopters, or are they on artillery and drones? I did read in the press, they did do one attack, didn't they, over the border? into uh, an oil refinery. Was that not some form of helicopter? It might well have been. I don't know. Um, yeah, I so, Okay, so, but you're watching all that, and um, 
I mean, I suspect yes. the Ukrainians would just love 60 Apaches oh. to land on their doorstep tomorrow morning I think they uh, re- with ready trained 120 pilots. And then I think the whole British Army would like to get over there and I can imagine. assist. I, I, I did think about that um, 40 kilometre long convoy outside oh. Kiev full of Russian armour, thinking that that would have been a, a grim fun day out. That's another highway of death that could have been. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. so just to end now what are you flying now what do you find now so now you're, you're city street effectively so you're testing for a so I now work at Leonardo Helicopters where we are testing the AW149 which is one of the uh, competitors for the new medium helicopter for the UK military right so that's to replace uh, it's a really good program from a UK MD perspective it's to replace four aircraft so the Puma in a support helicopter troop moving role the uh, Dauphin in the special forces role yeah. The Bell 212, which is in uh, Brunei doing jungle search and rescue and uh, casualty evacuation and support to training out there, jungle training. And the Bell 412, which does search and rescue in Cyprus. But actually, the new medium helicopter, I think, will do five roles because there's another special forces role that's also being lined up to. Okay, got it. So you're doing so, all that. So we're doing all that testing with... It's a great platform. It's fast. It's got bags of power. Um, it's... Highly automated, very easy to fly. Um, no, it'll be great. It'll be good. Excellent. It'll be great. And are you ever going to get to fly an Apache again? No, those days are gone. Oh, <laughs> in that case, you deserve another pint. Excellent. What do you want? Another one of them? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, you get free beer. You get free beer. That's why he's here. Yeah, he's here for free beer. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Um, and uh, if you've got any questions for Nick, just leave them in the comments below on the uh, page on uh, Walt's World. But in the meantime, thank you very much indeed. Cheers, pal. Pleasure. Thanks.